It's time for Midweek Media Watch, and I'm joined in the Auckland studio by Hayden Donnell from RNZ's Media Watch programme. Hi, Hayden. Kia ora, Robert. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, nothing's happened in the news, really, has it? Absolutely nothing. We are going to try and dredge up something. And first up, I guess I would like to speak about, and listeners can't see me right now, but I'm just sort of gesturing wildly in the direction of the beehive. Right, from Auckland. So it's quite a, quite a long-range gesture. Yeah, just down south, the beehive in general, an absolute cesspit at the moment. So New Zealanders, I guess, have not borne witness to such a torrid flow of political scandal and disgrace as they have in the last few weeks. And journalists in particular have been presented with, I guess, what would be an election-defining scandal just about every 20 minutes since Simon Bridges lost the National Party leadership. Do you think that's when it really kicked off? Do you think that's when the electoral news cycle really started moving? I think it might be that Simon Bridges was patient zero, but in many ways it could be Hamish Walker. So this is just the last two weeks. So you had the patient data scandal involving Hamish Walker and Michelle Bogue that metastasized into the resignations of Todd Muller, Nikki Kay and Amy Adams. And then the election of Judith Collins as National Party leader. Now, in the, just in the last couple of days, we've dealt with the sackings of both Rangitata MP Andrew Falloon and the Immigration Minister Ian Lees Galloway. And so we have this relentless storm of political scandals. And I think that the gallery reporters are a little bit dazed and bewildered at what's taken place. How are they responding to the pace of that news? What are you seeing out of the gallery's journalists? I just want to give you a taste here. So this is the Herald's Claire Trevette who wrote a very despairing column this afternoon and it was headlined with I think what can be read as a plaintive cry. Where will the political sackings and scandals end? Question mark. That might be hypothetical. I don't know. But it concludes with the words, at the moment all the voters see of Parliament is a pigsty. And that's a really important point, right? I think we, we can probably, in the media, get quite used to having this constant turmoil of news. But for voters, for people, for a better word, on the street, um, is this a, a disenfranchising kind of news cycle? Does this make people maybe less likely to want to engage with politics? I think that there's probably something that has been mentioned that people actually feel... Just, just overwhelmed. Even the gallery reporters I've spoken to are overwhelmed. I just got a, I just got a message just now from from one of them, and I asked him how uh, whether he has sort of uh, been dealing with this, and he said I passed out at some point quite a while back. Can't say exactly. So I mean, even they can't keep up with the pace of political scandal. How can voters and ordinary New Zealanders, as politicians like to say, expect to be? able to do so and it's probably just some people have probably just checked out a little bit but I I, I, I did enjoy the spin-off's Toby Manhire who cast an eye over this morning's chaos and he, he wrote an article headlined breaking there is one new case of a disgraced politician in New Zealand <laughs> and so the first line is hopes of curbing community transmission of political disgrace in New Zealand are fading with a succession of new reported cases raising fears that the so-called Bowen cluster is out of control the Bowen cluster is quite a nice phrase. Do you think that the COVID crisis and the response to it is accelerating the news cycle? Or is this just New Zealand electoral politics? Like We've seen every election for the last three or so elections. It's got faster, it's got harder, it's got meaner. Do you think it's just that or are we seeing the COVID response pushing it forward as well? 
I can't see that COVID is anything really to do with it. I, I don't understand. None of these scandals have any real linking factor. They don't all seem to be related to COVID. It just seems to be that New Zealand politics is filled with uh, reasonably questionable characters at the moment. So... I don't know where the COVID is. And I remember being overseas for the dirty politics election. That was 2014. And just, I was, I was, I was actually in the south of France logging on to, to Twitter every now and again just to, just, just to be this, see this overwhelming deluge of, of, of ridiculous news stories and animosity and poisonous discourse. And I feel like this election's a little bit similar. And if we were taken out of New Zealand, then we would sort of see the bizarreness of it all. We saw under COVID that all other news basically kind of got blown out of the water for about six to eight weeks. Almost every headline that we had was about the crisis and the pandemic. And then once we kind of came out into level one, it felt to me like there was a blossoming of news. It was all this stuff that came out that had basically not been happening for about six to eight weeks. Do you think that's true of political news as well? Maybe. I mean, that's an interesting theory. But what I actually think is happening and and is a bit verifiable is something like that COVID phenomenon is now happening with political news where the sheer volume of scandals means that every individual scandal is not being covered in the same way. So you're getting other stories that are important kind of being forced out and into the back of the agenda. So one of those that I really wanted to highlight was back in the distant shadowlands of, you know, Monday afternoon when both Andrew Falloon and Judith Collins appeared to use mental health as a kind of smokescreen for Andrew Falloon's actions. And Falloon's original statement, he admitted to some missteps and he kind of gave the impression that he was actually trying to stand down from Parliament mainly because of his mental health. And he noted that three of his friends had committed suicide. He said another friend had taken his life recently. And he said that he has to maintain his own health and well-being and has been receiving counselling. And Judith Collins' own statement uh, added to that impression that Falloon was standing down over mental health concerns. And she said, Andrew is suffering from, from significant mental health issues and his privacy and that of his family must be respected. What did you make of of the way that was covered at the time? It was covered... uh, There were just so many angles coming out of the story so fast, and also the the, the pace of scandal has, has... escalated to such an extent that maybe just the 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 fact of those statements has not been covered adequately so it's it was tenuous at best and and downright offensive really at worst for Falloon to connect his friend's suicides to his decision to send pornographic material to multiple women and it was arguably deceptive for Collins to sign off in a statement that also gave that impression. Although she was not necessarily running off the same information that Falloon was as she's made clear this week. She was notified by Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's office about this issue and the basic facts of the issue. Yeah, she might not have been operating on the same set of information, but her her statement really gave this impression that this was primarily a mental health decision for Andrew Falloon, and I'm not sure that really conveyed the full facts of the situation. So Newstalk ZB's Marcus Lush was one of the commentators who actually did pick up on this, and he had this to say on Monday night. 0800 if you want to talk, Marcus, till midnight talk. And I think it's offensive to anyone that does have mental health issues that they would blame this on that. I just find it unbelievable that the first thing is, the first thing they should have said is, own it, I sent shots to a woman. 
She is the victim. And just got away, except making themselves the story and just walked away. That's the entire story. But to try and, when the perpetrator tries and garners sympathy for themselves, I'm speechless about that. And it does make us wonder about the calibre of the MPs we are getting and the way it was handled in the timeline. So that was Marcus Lush, and he was just talk- he was just appealing for talkback callers to talk about uh, the f- statement that came from Andrew Falloon about his decision to step down. And we've seen quite a lot in the last couple of days about people trying to work out what that use of mental health in statements and in media looks like. What has that coverage been like? It's been there, but it hasn't been to the forefront because there's been so much, as I've said. Uh, News Hub's Jenna Lynch, she actually did a whole story, a whole story for Three News on this, uh, News Hub at Six on this, and she interviewed the Mental Health Foundation's Sean Robinson. This is a snippet of that interview. He offered his resignation through the lens of mental health. Instead of talking about what he'd done, both Falloon and his leader, Judith Collins, released statements pointing almost exclusively to his state of mental well-being. The Mental Health Foundation says that was wrong. Initially, no, I don't think that was a very appropriate use of um, mental health. That use of mental health as a kind of political shield or uh, a political excuse, you know, that is not acceptable. So that was Jenna Lynch at News Hub at 6 talking to Sean Robinson of the Mental Health Foundation. Lynch went on to say that using mental health as an excuse for bad behaviour can end up creating more stigma for people that have mental illness. It just implies that they shouldn't be held to the same standards as everyone else. And I thought she had a really good quote on this. She said, mental health shouldn't be referred to as a weakness, nor should it be used as a shield. It shouldn't be used to score political points, nor to avoid political consequences. Were there angles of that story that you thought weren't properly covered? No, it's just that maybe, and I don't know whether listeners can actually relate to this, but maybe this actually got lost. And I I really feel that this is quite an important thing, and I really didn't like the way that those statements were worded and the way that mental health was used as a smokescreen because it is one of the most pressing issues facing New Zealand today and it's something that has been a political issue and has been brought up in politics a lot of the time. Chloe Swarbrick has talked about her clinical depression and and, and she's been a real groundbreaking force here. But in, at, at the same time, we've had MPs using mental health as a weapon against their colleagues across the house. So... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a place that has an interesting relationship with mental health and they're actually meant to be serving New Zealanders that have mental health issues. For reporters, though, going back to the media, is it just very difficult for them to cover these one by one? Do we end up barking at every car? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so the, the part of the reason why this coverage did get buried is because a new angle was emerging every day. And one of those angles actually came this morning when the AM show's Duncan Garner happened to ask Judith Collins whether she had received any information about Labour MPs who may have committed misdeeds. And this is what she had to say. Have you, do you receive, have you received anything on about Labour ministers or Labour MPs? Um, I have, actually, and... Um and I have uh, advised the Prime Minister and I've asked for anybody who has that information to send it directly to her. When did this happen? Um, oh, actually, just yesterday. 
No, that was Judith Collins talking to Duncan Garner on the AM show. If you if you thought that sounded like a bit of a conveniently placed question, you were not the only one. Collins was asked this afternoon whether she was playing politics by gallery reporters, and she vehemently decide, denied that accusation, saying it was a straight question and I gave a straight answer. Well, shall we move on to something else? I think that's a good idea. <laughs> what else has been on your mind this week? I've actually been thinking about climate change a little bit, and... This is about Stuff's dedicated climate change section, the Forever Project. And you might know, but the Forever Project has been in trouble since it began because it is... When did it begin, Adam? When did it begin, actually? It began during the COVID crisis. Right. It launched during the COVID crisis, and its first issue actually just got totally buried. And it's relaunched again recently. So it's... it's, it's um, on its way up again. It was one of those news stories that got pressed down by COVID. Mm. And it, it's taken an activist stance in, in favour of only reporting scientifically accurate information about climate change. And that's upset a few people. You know, commentators, including Magic Talk's Sean Plunkett, they've complained about the section for refusing to cover uh, unscientific arguments against the existence of human-caused climate change, and it recently drew the ire of climate change deniers again recently, following the publication of an op-ed article in The Australian by the environmentalist Michael Schellenberger. And his article was headlined, On behalf of environmentalists, I apologise for the climate scare. And his arguments, there was a few of them, but among other things, he argued that climate change isn't making natural disasters worse and it's not bringing about a sixth mass extinction. And this provoked this response from News Talk ZB's Mike Hosking. No, and I don't want to rain on Stuff's Parade uh, because they're a competitor and oh, I've got time for them like I've got time for everybody because that's the sort of person I am. But there's a guy called Michael Schillenberger. They've got a section in Stuff dedicated entirely to climate change. And that's their prerogative. And if it gets lots of clicks, then fantastic. But I'm open to correction. But I, I really didn't see in their climate change section... The apology last week from Michael Schellenberger, who's an American environmentalist, energy commentator and nuclear power supporter, who on, and I quote, on behalf of environmentalists everywhere, I'd like to formally apologise for the climate scare we created over the past 30 years. In other words, he's finally woken up and says the whole thing's a scam, and he's out of there. And this, of course, caused headlines all around the world, but you'll note it didn't quite cause many headlines here. And you ask yourself, well, hold on, if you've got an entire climate change section, was there not room in there anywhere at all for it or are we just running an agenda there was mike hosking talking about the forever project stuff's climate change section so well, i suppose their response there hayden would be that they are running an agenda like they've been quite clear about that like you just said before that they um what are they saying they're saying that they only want to cover scientific arguments and that they won't cover unscientific language how do you decide what is scientific and unscientific when you're covering a section like that? Well, I think that what you, you you look at is the vast weight of scientific evidence and you look at what's a peer-reviewed paper and how many of them there are. One thing I want to note about that Hosking uh, editorial is that he called climate change a scam, which is not language I've actually heard from him before. Perhaps I haven't listened enough. But I find that climate change is one of the only areas of reporting where what amounts to conspiracy theories are essentially mainstreamed. And I don't really see calling climate change a scam, obviously orchestrated by nearly every climate scientist in the world somehow, being too far away from supporting QAnon or 9-11 trutherism. I, I don't see there's a huge distinction there. 
and yet it's it's something that is able to be practiced on mainstream stations like News Talk ZB. But there's a decades-long scientific consensus on the existence of human-caused climate change. To call it a scam is pretty absurd. And so, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Anne. No, I mean, on your question of whether that means that the Forever Project is running an agenda because it is not giving in to that, I don't think that's really the case. It's still an agenda, though. Like, not to say that it's a, a malevolent agenda, mm. but it's certainly like it, it's an editorial line that they're pursuing. What has their response been to Hosking's comments? They haven't responded, and I don't think they want to. I guess when you talk about the the word agenda, it's it's different. They would argue that what they're doing is just the kind of editorial judgment that any news organisation practices on a day-to-day basis, which is only to prioritise, I guess, valid information. And this is what their editor, Eloise Gibson, had to say about climate change denial and why she doesn't cover it in an interview with MediaWatch last month. On that kind of censorship angle, if if you're asking me, you know, should... 100 trustworthy peer-reviewed papers suddenly appear, you know, positing some alternative explanation for the the climate change that we're seeing. Um, You know, should the consensus start to shift? Should there be, you know, genuine good faith issues here? Uh, Would I cover that story? You know, of course I would. It would give me great pleasure and no end of relief to be able to report that. I think the chances are are fairly low, unfortunately, Um, you know, very low. And I, I don't think we would be serving our readers if we were to proceed on that, that minuscule chance. So that was Eloise Gibson from Stuff's The Forever Project talking to us last month. But I have Good reason to believe that those standards that she talked about there came into play with her decision not to cover the Schellenberger article. So that article was actually reviewed by seven climate change scientists at climatefeedback.org. Those authors found many of its central claims were inaccurate or distorted. The claim climate change isn't making natural disasters worse contradicts reports from the IPCC and other scientific studies. Uh, and it also cited an abundance of evidence linking human activities to global species extinctions. It's an interesting point because what they, what Hosking and others were complaining about was emission hmm. rather than commission. Yeah, emission of the other side. And I, I, I think that probably what Eloise Gibson and others, Patrick Crudson, I've seen Charlie Mitchell at Stuff also argue this, is that when they're reporting about other scientific information, they don't uh, include the view that the Earth is flat when they're talking about whether the Earth is round. Mm. They don't include the view that gravity doesn't exist when they're talking about things falling from the sky. They put the science of climate change on a very similar level to those things, where they think the weight of evidence is such that they don't cover arguments that they don't consider scientifically valid. And I guess that they would compare that to any other editorial department's decision-making, including, you know, in a crime story, if you don't include a psychic's opinion on where a murder took place, you know, you it's, they would say it's a very similar editorial process to that where you're just trying to report only on the valid information. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me tonight, Hayden. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Robert.